0: everyone, and welcome to Pilgrim Devotion. I am your host, Michael Howard, the senior pastor of Seaford Baptist Church. And this podcast is for those inside and outside of Seaford Baptist Church, anybody who is living the pilgrim life representing the kingdom of God in the kingdom of man. And we are back with another episode. I feel like I have not been on here talking in forever because... We did the double episode with Jeff Beard and Kenny Van Horn, and uh, that ran for a couple of weeks. And then I took a week off because last week my wife and I were away at the Unite Conference, which is the national conference really, you could say the global conference for Pillar Network churches. And uh, we are a Pillar Network church. We joined the Pillar Network of Baptist churches back in August of this year. And so, this was my first time going to that conference. It was wonderful, but it was a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday ordeal, which means that I was not around to be able to record the podcast last week. And I thank you all for your patience in that and look forward to talking today. So, uh, today, what we are going to be talking about is the eight lessons I have learned in my first 10 years of senior pastor ministry. So, I became the senior pastor of Seaford Baptist Church. I believe the date was September 27th, 2013. So it's been just over 10 years since I sat down in the quote-unquote lead saddle. And uh, I was here for two years before that. I came here in October of 2011, so I'm approaching my 12-year anniversary altogether But I have been the senior pastor here for 10 years, and I started thinking about that and kind of reminiscing on those 10 years and thinking about what I have learned, uh, thinking about the hard lessons that uh, I have learned over this decade, uh, day in, day out, doing the work of pastoral ministry. And the list here that I have that I want to talk through today on the episode, really, it's not exhaustive. I wouldn't say it's exhaustive. Um, I didn't sit down and and you know spend time making sure that uh, that I had every lesson that I've learned written down and I've tailored it to say it exactly how I want to say it. That's the sort of thing you're going to do if you want to write a book. I'm not writing a book. I'm. Recording a 35 minute podcast today uh, So I, I just wrote down 8 things And it wasn't willy nilly I mean these are 8 things I've kind of thought of Throughout the last week And uh, I have had them kind of marinating in my head And figuring out if these uh, e- Exactly what lessons I wanted to talk about on the podcast And I really wanted to add 2 more Because 10 lessons in my 10 first year 10 lessons in my first 10 years That sounds like a book, right? That sounds a whole lot more catchy and a lot more exciting. That is a lot more snazzy on the Spotify title than the eight lessons I've learned in my first 10 years. But eight's what I came up with. Like I said, it's not an exhaustive list. Uh, It's not, here's everything I want to say to you about my first 10 years at Seaford. No, not at all. It's just eight things that if I could pinpoint, if I was sitting down with somebody at lunch and they said... Hey, what, what have you learned in your first decade that, that I should heed in my pastoral ministry? If I was sitting down with a man that's younger than me, who's just starting out, you know, some, uh, someone who's 29 years old, who's about to take a, a church for the first time, just as I was 10 years ago uh, as a senior pastor, what would I say to them? Well, this is probably what I would say to them. I think that these are the eight things that I would get to in that conversation one way or another. So I just want to work through them. Here we go. Number one. And these really are not in any particular order except this one. Like this one is definitely top of the list. Number one, most important. And and by the way... Some of these, if if you're listening, you're like, well, I'm not a pastor. Is this going to be a good episode for me? Just listen. I think there's some things that for you as a Christian you can glean. If I am your pastor, it's going to help me help you to understand me better. If I'm not your pastor, you're going to understand your own pastor better, probably after listening to this and how to pray for him better. And then if you're in any level of leadership, some of these things are just general principles you can apply. So number one, though, and this is really for every Christian, but certainly for pastors, get up early and spend time with God every day, or you are asking for major trouble. Okay? Get up early, spend time with God every day, or you are asking for major trouble. This is something every believer needs to do. Every believer should be going out of their way. It it should be a priority to get up early and spend time with God every single day. Uh, I recently saw that John Piper tweeted that Satan spends every hour of the week, however many hours are in a week. I'm not going to sit here and do the math, but every hour of the week, okay? Let's just take it down to the day. All 24 hours of the day, Satan spends trying to deceive you. He spends 24 hours a day wanting to lie to you, deceive you, destroy you, uh, murder you, uh, lie to you, all of those things, right? This is who he is. He is a thief, and he has come to steal and to kill and to destroy. And He spends all of his time wanting to do that in your life. Are you really then not going to give God 10, 20, 30, 40 minutes in the morning that you're going to spend with him in light of what you know the enemy is up to? Uh, It's a foolish decision, right? It's a foolish decision to not come away with Jesus. I think that's something that's really important. You see in the Gospels, Jesus is on the earth. He's got about three years on the earth where he is going to do his ministry. Everything that he does is important. Everything that he does uh, is holy. Everything that he does is done purposefully uh, to the praise of God's glorious grace. Everything that he's doing is about moving along the plan of redemption. And yet, in the midst of his earthly mission, the Son of God, God in the flesh, wanted his disciples to come away with him to spend time with him. He would stop in the midst of the busyness of ministry, this very important ministry, right? The most vital ministry that's ever been done, the ministry of the Son of God. He would halt it so that his disciples could come away with him. Jesus longs to come away with you, to spend time with you, uh, for, for you to have intimacy, personal intimacy and friendship with him. And when you go about your day prayerlessly, boy, you're asking for it. Not only are you missing out on the relationship that Jesus desires to have with you, but you're missing out on the divine grace that he pours out on those that pray to him daily for his divine grace, that humble themselves and come to him and say, I can't live without your grace today. And if you go out there trying to live without his grace, he will withhold it so that you feel the pain of not living with his daily grace, and then you will cry out for it in prayer. So go away with him. Do not, uh, do not put yourself in a place to receive the discipline of the Lord because you're not pursuing intimacy with Him, but instead pursue intimacy with Him by reading. It's the ordinary means of grace, right? Read your word every day, pray every day, uh, fast if that is what God is calling you to, sing to Him right? Lift up song to him. And in that prayer, you want to adore him. You want to confess your sin, express your thanks to him, ask him for what you need, all of those things. But you need to spend that time with God. You need to have his daily grace poured out upon you. Uh, You need to carry your prayer request to him. All of that, all of that. You need it. What a friend we have in Jesus, the hymn says, right? And so you need to uh, engage him in that friendship, and he wants to be your friend. The God of the universe wants to be your friend, and he wants to be your shepherd and your caretaker and the bishop of your soul. Like He, he is mighty God, and we need to come to him as such every day, and, uh, and, and that is going to set the course of your ministry. If you're a pastor, it's going to set the course of your ministry in your day. If you are a Christian, it is of the utmost importance. If you don't know where to start in your time with God, Uh, I always encourage people go to the book of John read one chapter a day and do that for three weeks there's 21 chapters that's three weeks of reading you do it for three weeks it's going to establish a habit in your life and then you build from there I also recommend you having daily liturgy in your life that acts as a cast for your soul in your daily devotional and quiet time and uh, if you uh, are familiar with the book Be Thou My Vision by Jonathan Gibson that is a wonderful tool that you can use so uh, with that said Let's move on to number two. So number one, get up early, spend time with God. Number two, don't try to keep everybody happy. They're going to leave anyways. Don't try to keep everybody happy. They're going to leave anyways. This is not me saying, well, just be brash and do whatever you want to do, because if people are going to leave, they're going to leave. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is be obedient to the Lord And don't lead fearfully or lead from behind just trying to keep everybody together. Because if you are behind the pack trying to keep everybody together and nobody's leading from the front, then somebody will step into that vacuum of leadership, which can be toxic and often is. Or you have people leaving from the front. You're behind, oh, I'm just trying to keep everybody together. And the people up in the front who want to be led, they just go find somewhere to be led. Uh, Or you have people that are just going to be obstinately opposed to what you were going to try to do. Some of them are obstinately opposed because they have preferences that are different than yours as a leader, and it really isn't a sin issue. It's just a preference issue, and it's better that you part ways. Um, some people are obstinately opposed because they don't understand what a biblical church needs to look like and what biblical ministries need to look like, and so they are going to fight you and they're going to fight you from a place where uh, they have unbiblical sentiments, unbiblical beliefs, un- unbiblical uh, ideas. And it's just never going to work. And so you need to go ahead and lead in the Lord's time and in the Lord's strength, uh, not alone, right? Of course. Uh, and I'll get to that in a moment uh, when I get to my third lesson. But. You want to get out there and you want to lead in a way that aims to please the Lord, not that aims to please the people behind you. Because in aiming to please the Lord, if the Lord is pleased with the way you are leading and the way that you are leading the church, it's going to be for the joy of those who are submitting to your leadership. And the best way to, quote unquote, keep them happy, and a better way to say it would be to keep them joyful, is to lead them toward that which will please God in the local church. Right, I asked my friend Kenny Daria, who's a pastor at Reformation Christian Fellowship, uh, one of our pillar uh, partner churches, uh, recently, I I was just kind of (laughs) lamenting to him about a a hard day, and I said, do you ever just feel like you're messing everything up by trying to make change? And he said, oh, no. He said, no. Until Christ is formed in my people, my work is not done. Keep working, brother. And, And I thought that was such a good word. Let your aim be Christ being formed in the people of God, not trying to keep people happy. And trying to keep people happy, really very few people will end up being happy. And uh, the church will be stunted. It absolutely will be stunted because it will be held hostage by the pet projects you let go on in trying to keep everybody happy. So uh, don't try to keep everybody happy. In the Lord's time, in the programs that need to end, start ministries that need to be started, do the things that you know you're being called to do by the Lord, the things that are biblical, pursue the health of the church, do all of that. And if people are going to leave, they're going to leave, and God is the one that arranges the members of the body. And that's not something that you need to own and you need to wear, Pastor. And I'm preaching to myself here, too. Uh, Just because I wrote the lesson down doesn't mean I've learned it all the way yet. That's still one that I have to remind myself of on the regular. Uh, But it's a great deterrent to man-pleasing to realize I'm not going to be able to keep everybody happy. Who who do I think I am, right? And so instead, just lead and aim to please the Lord. Let's keep going here. Uh, Number three, trust good processes. Man, I have learned to trust the processes that are in place. Like in every committee, there are processes. In every ministry team, there are processes. In the deacon body, we have a process. In our pastoral body, we have a process. In our office, we have a process. In our staff, we have a process. You you see, all these processes that exist should be used. Some of them are not great and we need to reform them and fix them. Some of them are pretty good. We need to fix them. And some of them are rock solid and we just need to use them. (laughs) And so, and we got a lot of that here because, and this is just me speaking about Seaford. Uh, One of the things I love about our church is that we have school teachers, uh, people who have served in the military and are serving in the military, people who work for Ferguson, people who work for the shipyard, people who work for NASA. I mean, people who, who have just ate and slept and breathed administration and red tape and structure their entire careers. And so they bring a lot to the table when it comes to processes. So when I came to this church, I walked into a church that had pretty good processes laid out in, in, in constitution and in bylaws and different handbooks. And so what I saw was just follow the path, man. Just follow the path. Don't go rogue. Stay with the course. And in doing that, uh, it ends up, uh, and, and communicate along the way. In doing that, it ends up where everybody feels like they're on board. I think it's one of the reasons that we have... Unified, joyful members meetings here is because we trust processes. If you trust processes, once you get to the members meeting, you don't have to worry uh, so much about, you know, is there going to be a big explosion because the process has taken care of a lot of that. So trust the processes that are in place, even if they require patience from you, even if it means things are going to get done slower and it's going to take longer, they'll get done the right way and with less heartburn. Number four, confront sin when you see it. Confront sin when you see it. Kind of going back up to the second lesson that I had, don't try to keep everybody happy, they'll leave anyhow. One of the reasons pastors don't confront sin is because they don't want to offend people and they love people and it's hard to do it because it's hard to sit down with a brother or sister and get into the grit of their life and say things aren't okay. Right? That's that's really really difficult to do. As a pastor, I remember hearing Tim Keller say that when you confront sin, you need to do it like a surgeon. Like you got to have steady hands, but gentle hands. And you don't want to be domineering, but you also do not want to be uh, backing off and backing down and compromising the truth. So you've got to have steady but gentle hands. And that surgical work is hard. If it wasn't hard, everybody would be a surgeon, right? But it's hard. It's hard to, to uh, sit down with somebody and, and you, you almost feel like MacGyver trying to cut the wrong wire and just trying to make sure that you're caring for their soul, in all of of the right ways, right? You want to get the sin out of their life, but you want to get the sin out of their life in a way where they're going to be encouraged, built up, and maturing in Christ, right? Because the end goal is redemption. It's not punitive when you're sitting down and you're having those conversations. So it's hard, but you got to do it. You got to do it because if you don't, it festers. And then you end up having to confront it later and it's bigger and it's uglier. Number five, lean into who you are. Lean into who you are. I sat down with Lee Hess, Uh, earlier this year, who's another one of the pillar uh, pastors, and he's the pastor at Carrollton Baptist. And Lee said, Michael, just be who you are. He said, this is one of the best pieces of advice I ever got. One of the best pieces of advice I could give you as a younger pastor is just be who you are, figure out what you're good at, lean into it. Don't try to be who you are not. And I think that goes not just for like you as a pastor, you as a leader, or you as a Christian listening to this. It goes for our church. It's like, here's a little example, and I laughed about it with the church at our last members meeting. We have called, since I've been here, we called it Sunday school, and then we called it Bible study, and then we called it small groups. And then I stood back up recently and I said, church, we're a Sunday school church, it's Sunday school, it's not going to be called anything else. Sunday school. And everybody cheered and was like, yeah, Sunday school, because we all know that's who we are. So let's lean into it and let's be better at it, right? If we know that's who we are, let's lean into it and let's get real good at it. And, and let's just own it. We're a Sunday school church. Let's own it. Let's go all in. It's the same thing with midweek. When I first came here, I don't mind telling you, like if you talk to me in private conversation, you heard me say things like, oh man, if we didn't have midweek, we could have small groups. And Well, why would you want to do that? Well, I could sit here and I could talk about the advantages of small groups. I could also sit here and talk about the advantages of midweek. But if I'm being honest with you, as a young pastor, I wanted an ideal. I looked at other churches that I deemed to be successful. They had small groups. Like, well, we need small groups. That's not really who we are as a church. It's not our culture. And midweek's really important to us. And as people get connected here, they come to midweek, they get that cookout sort of feel. And uh, we say midweek's the gateway to community, Sunday school's the gateway to discipleship. It's the gateway to community. They come, they get that community, they love it, and it is such an important time, the meal time, the teaching. Like, everything that happens with midweek, is it's ingrained into who we are as Seaford Baptist Church. Why run from that? Let's lean into it, let's be good at it, and let's invite people into it, you know? So... That's something that I I have learned. Um, Figure out who you are as a church. Lean into those things. And then figure out who you want to be and then catch that up to the things that you are good at and that you are growing in. So um, number six, it takes a skilled preacher to wade into cultural issues. And the last, well, actually the next couple, these have to do with the pulpit and then the last one is more about friendship. But number six, It takes a skilled preacher to wade into cultural issues. I can't tell you. So, like, if you ask me, like, is there any moments in your ministry here that keep you up at night where you're just like, I really wish that hadn't happened? (laughs) Of course there are. I could point to multiple things, some of which I don't want to talk about in this podcast because they were, you know, issues that were, uh, you know, I'm I'm not going to drag people's dirty laundry out, but I I could sit here and go, I wish I'd handled that situation better or that situation better, right? There's always that as a pastor. But boy, sometimes I look back at the pulpit in my first, I don't know, six, seven years here, six, seven, eight years here, and I go, Every time that I tried to deal with a cultural issue, I was really, really uh, clunky with it because it does take some seasoning and some skill to be able to talk about those issues in a nuanced way tied to the text where you are applying the Word of God to whatever the cultural issue is in a way that's going to be beneficial for the church members. So what I started doing is really reserving some of that for private conversation, reserving some of that for Bible studies in and, and, and smaller group settings, and really started to not talk about those things as much in the pulpit unless I felt like I just had to because I didn't want to be clunky. I almost put myself in, in timeout, and I was like, I'm not going to do this. Now, I, I'm recording this on, on October 10th. We're going to publish it on October 11th, and we are just a couple weeks away from starting a new sermon series here on October 29th, uh, that is about the role of government in the lives of Christians and the role of government in the life the life of humanity and the church's relationship to government. And what do we do with kind of this two kingdoms mentality of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man? We're going to go into all that. We're going to be spending time and all that. Am I going to be touching cultural issues? Well, of course I am. Of course I am. So that doesn't mean I think I figured it all out and I'm ready, but I do, I do want to go ahead and take the challenge to have a sermon series that's going to stretch me in that way because I, I will say that over the last few years, I've tried to really listen to Brothers Outside the church and my brothers inside the church, who I think uh, are really level-headed in talking about and dealing with current events, and tried to just kind of glean wisdom from these men, and hopefully I can use that in the pulpit. I don't think every time I've talked about current events, it's been a failure, but I just have too many times where I looked back and I was like, you know, the ball popped out and hit the ground there, and we had to dive on the ground, and there was a there was a scrum to get it back. You know what I mean? So maybe I should just hold on to the ball. Uh, Maybe I should not try to run through the A-gap as much if I'm going to keep using a football metaphor there. But it takes a skilled preacher to wade into cultural issues. And you got to make sure that you're going to do it in a way that's going to be beneficial to the body. Uh, Keep going, number seven. And this has to do with the pulpit as well. The discipleship of the pulpit is powerful. The discipleship of the pulpit is powerful. If you ask me, what has been the greatest agent of change at Seaford Baptist Church in your 12 years here? Because a lot's changed here. A lot's changed in 12 years, for better or for worse. A lot has changed. What's been the greatest helper to positive change in the church? I would say the pulpit. It's the pulpit. More than personal conversation, more than things I say in meetings and teaching I do in meetings, more than what I do in Sunday school classes, more than what I do in members meetings, Um it's the pulpit. It's Sunday morning. It's Wednesday night preaching. I'm preaching a little less on Wednesdays than I was because part of your your pastor getting older is that he can't preach quite as much as he did when he was younger. Uh, so I can't do the two sermons a week every week the way I was for so long, and I've, I've scaled it back to where I'm only preaching twice a month on Wednesdays and uh, typically three to four times a month on Sundays. It's still quite a bit of preaching, uh, but. But man, I don't regret those years of doing the double duty, because and 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 I, I did a little bit of it was was prideful youthfulness in the sense that you're you're like I want to be like John Calvin I'll preach four times a week <laughs> you know uh, well you're not John Calvin sir and uh, you're not going to preach four times a week you're not even going to preach two times a week uh, you're not gonna be able to do that but for so long that's been my experience there's other brothers built in different ways but. I don't regret that time, even if uh, I went about some of that maybe a bit with, with, with the not the, the wrong motives, but wanting to wear kind of that badge of honor. Yeah, I do two sermons a week. You know, that, that, there was some of that in me, right? I don't mind confessing that. Whatever the motivation was, I'm happy that it happened because in all of that preaching, what I got to do was vision cast, and what I got to do, which I know is like a TED Talk sort of term, but you know what I mean, right? Is is to put out there: here's who we want to be, here's who we are, here's who we want to be, here's who we've been, here's where we want to go. Um, I mean, I, I I just think that from ecclesiology and what we do in the church to theology and who God is, to um, eschatology and what's going to happen when the Lord returns, soteriology and how God saves. Uh, all the way down to the 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 attitude that we have about missions, the pulpit has been the driving force behind so much. You cannot underestimate the power of the preached word of God in the pulpit coming from the pastor of the local church. You can't. And I don't say that because I'm a pastor and I want those listening to listen to me and listen to their pastors every week and just submit to that pastoral authority. I'm saying that because me, I have realized that. I have a pastor have realized that. As I have been preaching, I have realized, oh my goodness, look at what the preaching of the word does for the church. And I just sat here and talked to you about how at times I could go back and question my motivations for how much I was preaching. And I just sit here and talked to you about how at times I was clunky in dealing with cultural issues. So I haven't been a perfect pastoral preacher. This church over the last 10 years, far from it. There's been a couple times I've had to get up in a pulpit and apologize for something I said the last Sunday because it was errant. And I realized that I missed the mark. So, in light of that, no, I haven't been perfect. What I'm talking about here is nothing to do with Michael as a preacher. I'm talking about the Word of God in the pulpit. Because if something happened to me tomorrow and I was no longer the one standing in the pulpit at 1311 Seaford Road doing the bulk of the preaching work, Somebody else is going to step in that role, and the Word of God is going to be just as powerful going forth um, because the Word of God transforms the people of God. So I have just come to believe in the power of the Word in the pulpit more than ever through the preaching of the Word in the pulpit. I've seen it, I've lived it, and I love it. And um, I, I commend that to any preacher out there, especially a young preacher. Don't underestimate your pulpit. Don't underestimate what you're going to do in that pulpit. And yeah, I'm still learning that every week. Let's keep going here. Last but not least, you need strong friendships inside and outside the church. You do. I sat at the SBCB conference last year. And if you have been around the Southern Baptist Conservatives of Virginia, you know that their tagline is You are not alone. You are not alone. And of course, we're not alone because we have the Lord Jesus Christ with us, but I think that their big emphasis is you're not alone because you have all these other churches that are with you. And I sat there at the second night of the conference, um, and I'll tell you, I was looking at the the phrase that was on the screen, H.B. Charles was preaching down in the pulpit, Uh, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful expositor who we were blessed to have there. So he's up preaching in the pulpit, and I'm just kind of looking at the screen. There wasn't any sermon text on the screen. It was just the SBCV logo, the motto, You Are Not Alone. Just before that, I had spent time hanging out with these guys who I had just met, all these guys that were talking church and ecclesiology and what's right. Should we have multi-site churches? Should churches just be one assembly, right? I mean, it all those sorts of conversations. And I was listening to these brothers talk, and they were like-minded with me, but I didn't know them. I knew one of them, two of them, but there was a multitude of men that were sitting there in this conversation before the, the nighttime service at SBCV um, on that Monday night. And, and I, I was just looking at all of them going, these are amazing men and I don't know them. And so then I'm sitting there in that service listening to H.B. Charles, looking at that you're not alone, thinking I am kind of alone. I have a couple pastors that I talk to, I text with. But I, I don't have men that I really partner with, cooperate with, bear my soul to that are that are around me locally. I have pastors outside the area I do that with. I, I've got my brother, Brad Russell, who is still my mentor in ministry, the man who has discipled me, the man who's taught me most of what I know uh, in ministry. i got my brother, Jeff Beard. He's taught me all the stuff Brad didn't teach me. And then I've got Kenny Van Horn, who's like my brother in arms, my, my roommate from seminary. Uh, Kenny and Jeff, of course, were just on the podcast. And, and I love Kenny, but but I'm talking about guys that are around me that I could drive to and have lunch with today if I needed to. That list was pretty short. It was pretty much a list of, of one or two coming into last November. And I just decided I've got to get in with these guys. I've got to know these men. I started going to the Pillar Network lunches, and, and one thing led to another, and our church, of course, joined the Pillar Network. And now you've heard me on this podcast talk about Lee Hess. You've heard me talk about Kenny Daria. And the way that I feel about those brothers, I feel the same way about Hobson at uh, Pocosin and Nathan at Fox Hill Road and Ryan Bryce at, um, at uh, Nansman River Baptist Church and, and Peter Hess at Christ Fellowship. It's going through a tough time a month ago on a Friday. Just sent out a prayer request to the Pillar Network text thread that we have. Peter's like, hey, let's get, let's get uh, brunch. I drove to Williamsburg, I had brunch with Peter Hess, one of the wisest men I know, and he gave me great wisdom. You need strong friendships inside and outside the church if you're going to last in pastoral ministry. You can't make a go of it alone. You can't. You need a Silas, you need a Barnabas, you need a Timothy, you need a Titus, you need an Aristarchus. You need um, you need these men to, to come around you and, and to help hold your arms up when, when you can't hold them up. So I'm so thankful for, for the men that I've just mentioned and others. I mean, they, they have associate pastors there I've gotten to know, and of course, Ben Little here at our own church, uh, my associate pastor that I have, and some of the associates I've served with I'm thankful for, but uh, Ben's a wonderful brother-in-arms too, helps hold my arms up here within the church. So you need that. You need those strong relationships, those strong friendships. And, and for pastors, you need it with men who understand what it is to bear the role of the shepherd to use the crook of the staff through tears and to use the rod of the staff also through tears. They, they, they need to understand that. They need to understand what it's like to have the sheep bite you when you're just trying to do good for them. They need to understand what it's like to have a sheep that you love see their coat be sullied by the mud of the pen when they roll around in sin and you have to come and get them out right? So you need a man who understands, a man who smells like sheep. And when you get those friends, oh, I, I just can't tell you what these brothers in the Pillar Network mean to me, what Pastor Ben means to me, what Doug Eccles, Bethel Baptist means to me, as well as uh, Keith McMinn over there, Jake Barnett over there. Um, but certainly, uh, and, and also those men I mentioned outside the church, but certainly these Pillar guys have just brought a whole new um, lifeline to me and to Pastor Ben Little our pastors here at this church uh, a lifeline to us as, uh, as these guys uh, as we've met these guys and they pour into us and it's a joy to be able to pour back into them as much as we're able to So, yeah, those are the lessons I've learned let me go back over them, here are the eight get up early, spend time with God every day or you're asking for major trouble don't try to keep everybody happy they're going to leave anyways trust the good processes in place create new ones if you need to Confront sin when you see it, otherwise it will grow and fester and become something worse. Lean into who you are, personally and as a church. Uh, it, takes skilled, uh, it takes a skilled preacher to wade into cultural issues. Don't do it till you're ready. Or, or, and if you have to do it, uh, seek the counsel of, a, of, of an older brother who's more wise, an older preacher who's more wise, who can help you navigate it. Uh, number seven, the discipleship of the pulpit is powerful. Don't underestimate it. And number eight, you need strong friendships inside and outside the church. So I hope this has been helpful to you. Thanks so much for listening. And uh, whether you're a pastor or not, I hope that this has been a blessing. Uh, let me ask you the questions that we'd like to ask at the end of each one of these episodes. Number one, how is your soul doing? How is your soul doing? Number two, I, I'm blanking out. <laughs> how is your soul doing? Number two, how is God's grace at work in your life? There it is. It's been a couple of weeks since we recorded an episode how is God's grace at work in your life? And then number three, how would you like for his grace to be at work in your life? Where are the areas you're like, I want to grow. Why am I not growing here? And brother or sister, if you go to answer those questions, like how is your soul? How is his grace at work in your life? How would you like his grace to be at work in your life? If you could answer those questions and you find, I need to talk to a pastor. Like if that's where you're at, would you please reach out to me? I, I would love nothing more than to uh, speak with you. Um, if not me, then then Pastor uh, Ben would love to speak with you. Connect at SeafordBaptist.com. Uh, we will respond to you with, with pastoral care. Uh, please reach out. S- uh, connect at SeafordBaptist.com. But um, until next time, I want to encourage you to go out there and keep living the Pilgrim